Blog Talk Radio. You know, there comes a time when we must either play by the rules or we may be, gee, I don't know. Let me just see if I can find some motivation, if you would. Not that kind of motivation. I mean, that's great. But while we're blathering on, we got a loaded show for you today on Wrestle Radio Network. We got an episode of Dark Side of the Ring for the first time ever to review a plane ride from hell. And also a SmackDown review, some AEW from Pizza Simpson. And an edition of One Hot Take that you, the audience, do not want to miss. Trust me on that one. Let me find some words of wisdom. Let's see here. Ah, here we go. This may be a little bit lengthy, but bear with me. Plus live channels with no hidden fees. YouTube TV. Try it free. Yes, try it free. Do you know that the average adult has? Oh, for fuck's sake, these abs. In their body at any given moment. Before DX can have any kind of happy And first this Sunday in Kansas City, DX will take on Team Rated RKO. That's the chance that the bodily harm will be likely. I suggest that this Sunday at New Year's Revolution, it will be one of the most physically intense tag team matches perhaps many of us will ever witness. Good 
talented, no talent. The ones I like best are the futures of the WWE or the stars of tomorrow. My favorite of all time is the greatest in-ring performer of his generation. I am still waiting to face that guy. You want to know what all those guys have in common? Either they're no longer here or they're jerking the curtain someplace. While Triple H and the Heartbreak Kid, D-Generation X, stand the test of time right here in the WWE. And then finally, finally, and i got to tell you, I don't know whether to be ecstatic, thrilled, but finally a couple guys come along who at least appear to have a set. Randy Orton and Edge, several weeks ago, you jump Ric Flair from behind, you drag his nearly lifeless, bloody body out here, in front of the world and you nearly beat him within an inch of his life. And that newfound set of huevos that you have seem to grow even bigger. And then you do the unthinkable. You managed to drop D-Generation X. You take the uh, you take the heartbreak kid, double RKO on a chair, split my head open, and then you take the game. You lay him out on that announce table. You give him a double concerto, and you split him from ear to ear, doing something to us that nobody's ever done. And that set grows bigger and bigger. Randy Orton and Edge, this Sunday, New Year's Revolution. You're going to find out there's a big difference in having a set and knowing what to do with them. Because this Sunday, DX is going to take yours and kick them down your throat. Now, see, I'm, I'm disappointed tonight because I thought we were going to fly all the way down here to Miami on New Year's Day and get ourselves in one hell of a fight. But the two girls, Edge and Orton, didn't show up. Happens. Double yeast infection is what I heard. But I know, I know they're going to be there Sunday for the pay-per-view. You want to know why I know that? Because they think they've got us right where they want us. They think they've got us right in the palm of their hand. 
You know what happened to the last guy that thought he had us right in the palm of his hand? We beat him bloody in this ring and then shoved his head up Big Show's ass. See, Edge and Orton can't figure out we're different, Sean and I. We're not like your regular group guys. We're, we got different sides. We're, we're kind of like frosted mini-wheats. You know, we got two different sides. We got the, the frosted side where, you know, you get the sugary goodness. We, I, 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 like, I like the sugary side. I like, I like the sugary side. Everybody likes the sugary side, Sean. It's sweet. It makes you laugh. It entertains you. You have a good time. That's the sugary side. But then there's the other side. Then there's the side that Edge and Orton are going to get. There's the side where the two most ruthless bastards to ever step foot inside this ring live. Edge, Orton, welcome to the other side. We are going to beat your ass on Sunday. We're gonna tear flesh. We are gonna break bones. We are gonna make you bleed. And we are gonna leave you laying in a broken, twisted, bloody heap in the middle of this ring. Because we are the Heartbreak Kids, Shawn Michaels, the game, Triple H. We are the Generation X. And if you're not down with that, we got two words. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as riveting as that is, you know, I miss the good old days when things could fly on TV that you really couldn't say and get away with, like good old D-Generation X. And, uh, well, let's see here. Those were the good old days. And we're waiting for pizza, pizza Simpson. All right, folks, we have a loaded show for you today. As I said, we have a Friday night SmackDown review. Uh, AEW is on the table for Pizza Simpson. And, uh, oh, wait, he's here. My God, my babbling. All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the most loyal patient, understanding, listens to my ramblings kind of guy, even though he's probably like, shut the fuck up and just get on the fucking airways or let me on the airways. Please welcome to the show, Pizza Simpson. Oh, thank you for the warm, warm, warm intro. Bro, let's get right into it. The uh, dark side of the rings has returned in a and they returned in a big way. Yeah, they did. And there already is some controversy stemming from that, you know, whole interview with Tommy Dreamer. But, you know, we're not going to dive into that spectrum yet. There was a flight that they were going to fly and it was to a pay-per-view called Insurrection. And if I recall, there's um, they already liquidated WCW, sadly, and ECW, two of uh 
the competing uh, companies against events that I gave at Raise Hell. And I remember buying um, Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines with DCW and, like, the top 10-rated wrestlers. Anyways, long story short, they went on this fight. And a former referee at WWE was interviewed, Mike Kyoto, um, Rob Van Dam, uh, Tommy Dreamer, Justin Credible. Um, there was a lot of guys on there. That, well, one of them is no longer here, God rest his soul, Kurt Henning. And um, there was some stories, folks, that emanated from this episode of Dark Side of the Ring um, that made you either cringe or go, yeah, I'm not surprised. Because the guys on this flight were known to rib like nobody's business. And those guys included, uh, you know, Kurt Henning. Um, let's see. Okay. Let's, uh, let's uh, start from the top and work our way down. Um, okay. The first thing I want to break it. The first thing I want to mention is Sean Waltman cutting the pony. Michael the Hayes. Pony That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that is fucking hilarious. And good for my. Good for fucking. Good for Sean Waltman for like sticking it to this motherfucker. If he's being an asshole, here it is in the worst possible way. And, uh, yeah, they cut his ponytail, and um, long story short, that shit ended up in a bag and uh, was nailed to the wall at the Raw taping so all the fans, I mean, all the backstage boys can laugh at it. Well, I mean, Michael Hayes was being a dickbag anyways. I mean, he got drunk, and he literally obliterated... John Bradshaw Layfield right in the fucking head, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, dude, you know, you're going to get yours whether you like it or not, and Mike Kyoto even went on to say, you know, Sean Waltman Xbox, one of the nicest dudes you will ever come across, gets up, you know, snips uh, Michael Hayes' ponytail off, which is hilarious because the dude is still, like, living in 1988, literally, with gator skin boots and leather, white leather, white leather, folks, white leather trench coat jacket and has the nerd to be who cut my fucking hair off blah blah probably that's how he sounded I mean some funny shit I'm sorry that one I had to laugh at yeah that's that's the uh, on the surface that's the easiest one that's like the easiest story to digest and that's something that you could chalk up to boys being boys so the next thing up we can break down in that whole thing is Brock Lesnar and Kurt Henning getting into this gigantic fight and pretty much almost killing everyone. Well, basically, dude, like if you're up at 30,000 feet in the air and Kurt Henning started this whole shindig off by taking a bunch of shaving cream, putting on Brock Lesnar, who put it on his head while he's sleeping, Okay, and granted, you know, they had said back in the past, you know, 93, he was a great river. And when he's like, he gets up, he's 6'4", Lesnar, that's amazing. I did not know that until he said he's 6'4", Lesnar's 6'4", roughly. And Lesnar, you know, spins around, picks him up, and just puts him near the door then, the door that could literally open, and they could start losing altitude. And the flight attendant said, you know, we're... 
we're in the air over the Atlantic. Where are we going to land? We're doing emergency landing. The, the ocean? Because they were over the, flying over the Atlantic. So, yeah, that was funny, but also not funny because I don't know if I, if I was on that plane, I'd be keeping to myself as much as I can, dude. That, that's insane. It's funny, but insane. I think that was definitely, the, you know, you know, before we like that, you know, we're we're gonna definitely keep going deeper into this. This is one of those ones I think that, in Brock's case, he kind of should have just let this one go, caught Brock, caught Kurt Henning, and just gave him a noogie. He just put shaving cream on you. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not that bad to, like, where you should guys should be putting each other through the walls of an airplane. I don't know. Dude, I thought it was just so funny because they said they picked each other up like they were playing around, like, horsing around. But, like, Lesnar literally took it so to the point where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you. And it's like, okay, then. And Terry Runnels basically described it really, really well. She said, picture, you just won a game, your football team won a game in high school after a varsity game, but you you can't really go anywhere in the parking lot, and you have all these you know guys drinking and carousing, and shit happens. Um, I don't think this is a case of just shit happening, bro. This, this, I've, uh, I've drank a lot you know what I mean? Like, I've drank a lot, a lot, and I don't get awful with women. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's I know when to draw the line. Like, I can, bro, I can drink. <laughs> and I would never do what Ric Flair did where he... Man, pretty much like exposed God. himself to this poor woman, who you know who had to first of all deal with professional wrestlers who's you know two hundred two hundred and fifty pounds who's just nonstop eating and drinking, and now she has now she's being cornered by Ric Flair who's swinging his cock around. Like a helicopter, which is told by Rob Van Tam, Tommy Dreamer, multiple dudes. Let's just leave it at multiple guys have already said the Nature Boys whole stick of ribbing the ribbing the boys and everybody is getting naked, you know, in one of his robes and waltzing around and styling and, and literally profiling like the Nature Boy, but in this Nature Boy version, drunk. And swinging it around like it was some kind of freaking toy. And it's just like, oh, my God, like the mental imagery kind of traumatized me just a little bit. Really, like, your own private setting and you are partying a little hard and things take a wild turn, that's one thing. But when you're in a you know, in a, in a public setting, and I'm not going to condone in <laughs> any capacity forcing yourself on any person in any capacity. I don't care if, 
This person is a legend. I, I agree 100% because, like, I don't care if your name is Ric Flair. I really honestly don't care if your name is Tully Blanchard, and I really don't care if you are a legend in the making. And people may disagree with me on saying this, but Adam Cole, CM Punk, it doesn't matter. If you're on an airplane full of dudes and they are just laughing it up, that's not an invitation to watch your happy ass down, you know, down the aisle. And that's just for fun, but like, dude, it's Ric Flair who's been around for like how many decades now? And on this flight especially, it's just like I know he's just trying to get a laugh out of the boys, but seriously, when you're that intoxicated. When you're that, like, drunk, drunk as a skunk, like, I find it funny, sad, and yet disturbing all at the same time from when the stewardess was telling the story about how and what Ric Flair did. I'm not going to dive into detail, but, dear Lord, if you haven't watched this episode of Dark Side of the Ring, you really need to in order to get the full skinny. I, uh, I feel sad for this poor woman. She has to deal with all this, all this like debauchery for 15 hours, and then she gets to cap it off with, she gets to cap it off with being sexually molested, not once but twice. And these are like big names, and it's funny because they said Dark Side of the Ring. I, I don't, okay, I do not recall the name of the producers, but they are two really cool dudes who made. And living off of talking about the other side of wrestling that we as fans don't get to see. And they talked about Scott Hall. And Scott Hall doesn't have any recollection of what happened between him and that stewardess. And she said, he, he held me by the shoulders. He, he took my blouse well, off. And it, you know. not, let's, let's build to it. Let's build to it because there's a lot of uh, – there's a lot of uh, – horribleness on this, but I kind of want to laugh or at least give a little tease to the Dustin Rhodes thing, because like him being super drunk and jumping on the (laughs) PA to like sing to his wife or his ex-wife Terry Runnels after Brock Lesnar exposed himself to Terry Reynolds, and he's singing a David Allen Cole song, which I'm sure was sad. And as a as a person who's experienced one of those long, long, long European flights where you're coming home from Europe, it sucks. So I understand if you're caught in your feelings, <laughs> and <laughs> you know you're. 15 hours away from LaGuardia, or you're probably flying into New Jersey, so you still probably have another connecting flight. So, God only knows. I feel for poor Dustin, who sang his heart out to his ex wife. <laughs> That's one of the that came out of the fucking plane ride from hell that was something to just laugh at because he didn't really hurt anyone. He only embarrassed himself. And if, um, you know, JR saw this and he did this in front of the boys, I think the embarrassment of just 
singing drunkly, you know, that's enough. You know what I'm saying? I think that what's hilarious is, like, JR had to play, like, he had to literally put, like, the supervisory role, because or babysitter, and JR said, I hated that. I, can we not talk about it? Like, you can already tell at the beginning of the episode, he's like, I do not want to talk about this ever again. And JR's been on several Dark Side of the Rings, but he didn't seem so jovial talking about a few topics. This one, like, he, he told Dustin, literally, sit your ass down. And you know, grow the f and grow the fuck up. I was like, wow. I'm not surprised that Jar had to tell him this. But you know, one thing that caught my attention, dude, on this entire episode, Charlie Reynolds said I went through, you know, bad experience with Lesnar exposing himself to me the night before. Did the whole bumping up and you know, exposed himself to the towel, whatever. But she said, I know sold it. I know sold it, meaning she didn't react at all. And she said, if I went to court. For everything that these guys do, she goes, I'd be in court my whole life. And that's really sad. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Let's dive into Terry Runnels. I'm glad you said something about her because she wasn't the only one who was sexually harassing the um, stewardess. She was on record to saying, oh, I'm going to fuck you too. So I'm sorry that Brock exposed himself to her, but she was also being a gross creep to the stewardess. So she's got she's pointing a finger while having one pointing back to her. This is true. I mean, she wasn't exempt from the other stuff. I mean. During the episode, she kept saying, oh, I know Solid. Oh, you know, these are, this is what happens when you get a bunch of guys in, in, uh, on an airplane for 15 hours going from European city to European city in Germany and UK or London or whatever for insurrection. Like, honest to God, man, they, like Kyoto's like, we were hot back then. We is in WWE. But sadly enough, you know, you've seen the results of what's going on right now. They're trying to rebuild a new product. But anyways, long story short, Mike Kyoto even said something about there were a lot of stuff that you could slide into your drink while being on the plane just so you could go to sleep. And I forget the name of the drugs that were put into these drinks, but I find it amusing that Mike Kyoto just laughed at most of this stuff. He's like, well, you know, they know that you're asleep. You put sunglasses on. It's a long flight and just normally sit down and relax. But the flight was so amped. You know, there's a lot of shit going on. Guys fighting one another, playing pranks on one another. It's, I mean, that's not uncommon for a flight if you're going from Europe to the United States. But, like, honestly, dude, through the entire episode, I just, like, I, I was like, man, I never thought in a million years, because I know that people like to crap all over just incredible. But he did, so, you know, he did so oh. nice. Oh, 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 yes, sir. Because after like this poor one, this poor woman had to deal with Ric Flair sexually accosting her. She had to deal with a drugged up. She had to deal with a drugged up Scott Hall, who, who said he was rib. He was joked on a rib because they thought it was cute to put put shit in each other's drink so he was completely fucked up 
and waked and he woke up and accosted this woman. And I'm not giving Scott Hall a pass in any capacity, but it's it's horrible to be fucking like drugged and then wake up and then you just commit a crime and then just incredible trying to be a good homie puts his friend in a in a wheelchair and wheels him off the plane and tries to get him past JR. Yeah. And and the sad part is, folks, I mean, the guy that is the noble accident is like, well, since we dealt with all these lawsuits, you know, we're going to cut the ribbons or cut ties, I should say, with some talent. And you no, know, the good thing was probably to cut Dustin Rhodes because he wasn't a hundred percent mentally. So, you know, and then, JR said, you know, we thought Scott Hall was ready, uh, but, you know, obviously he wasn't. So, I mean, they cut talent for good reason, but to cut certain people and cut ties, I get it. You know, you got to cut Johnson's the ones that are not quite the big names or big names anymore in the company. And after that whole incident, it's just like, man, how do you, how do you, like, Tommy Dreamer's, interview like was kind of intriguing oh. but most people would be offended like I know now why Tommy Dreamer is in hot water because this generation could easily and I mean easily get offended by anything that they put on camera or say on camera that even dark side of the race we knew this was going to happen because oh he's in hot water because he tried to pass a pass on Ric Flair's behavior on that plane years ago as, you know, oh, he was just ribbing her. Oh, it was just, you know, Ric Flair being Ric Flair. Like, I don't know why you would say. I understand Ric Flair and him are tight. You know, Ric Flair's tight with a lot of dudes. But, like, to say that it's possible to try and molest the woman, come on now, Tommy. Yeah, there's no way, real way of getting around that. Like that sucks. And Rick Rick Flair being Rick Flair is not a defense, you know. And I'm pretty sure Rick's done this over the years too. It's not just on this plane. I am pretty sure when they said when Rob and him said and they they willingly said on live air. You know, people used to slip this into women's drinks so they could have their way with them. Don't you think, dude, that's a little so – their, their business is their business. But that right there raised a lot of red flags for me. Like, if I didn't want to be touched, if I didn't want to be bothered, I'd not want something slipping into my drink. Yeah, that's fucking awful. <laughs> it's just, like, like, not acceptable as human beings, dude. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, like, so this whole, like, this whole, this whole, this whole, um, plane ride from hell, albeit it was 20 years ago, but it brought a lot of light to one of our heroes is actually a fucking creep. (laughs) It's really sad because it's like, okay, so we're gonna, I bet you they're gonna dig into the archive, like, any further, like, Tommy Dreamer. Has probably had some stories, you know, stories that he can tell you, horror stories from ECW, because back then, I'm pretty sure everybody, it doesn't matter what division you were in, whether it was WCW, WWF, back in the day, because I saw an episode of Dark Side of the Ring we'll touch on later, folks, about Dynamite Kid and his little 
uh, run-ins with steroids and all this shit that they would, you know, and little ribs that they would pull or he would pull back in the 80s. But, like, honestly, it doesn't shock me that this goes on in pro wrestling. I'm not saying boys can't have a good time, but dear Lord, man, when you put a bunch of dudes on plane with a bunch of alcohol and to, to cap it off, folks, the stewardess said when they went to clean the plane, there was blood on the freaking carpet. There were syringes found, and it's just like, my God, man, is there anything you guys didn't do on this flight? <laughs> pot. Okay, yeah, they didn't share the wealth. I mean, pot. Sorry. <laughs> have nothing. That's the only thing. Place. I can rub Van Dam and others, and you, and we know many others. We, I do not have a problem with people who smoke weed. You can do whatever the fuck you want in your life. You're, we're grown ass adults, but like, I just. <clears throat> Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, man. The plane ride from hell was... After diving into it, we only knew surface stuff. So now, like, hearing about how actual horrible it was for the people who had to deal with it, I'm sorry. I'm really, really, really sorry to have to hear that. This is, like, complete opposite of when Eric Bischoff had that plane ride to Korea. I mean, there was, like, fights on the ground. This, these, these things, these incidents, they happened in the air. That's the fucked up part, folks. This happened at 30,000 feet of altitude with dudes who have been legends from our childhood, and that includes, like, not just the guys from ECW or WCW, you know. It's like when, it's like, when Mike Kyoto said the words, I always thought, you know, Kurt was going to come around, Kurt Henning, that was come around back to the company, find his way back. Sad part is, folks, he died a year after that. And that was just, oh, man, he was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up because he always just had that thing that just make you hate him. And then you wanted to like him because he was just, it was just really cool. He's a really cool dude. But like, some of the stuff that Mike Kyoto said, like when he was describing in detail about breaking down what happened on the flight from hell, it just made you made us as an audience go, wow, man, holy shit. Who knew that these guys were capable of what they were uh, achieving or not, you know, trying to accomplish on that plane, which is like acting like a bunch of frat brothers. You know, wrestling is a fraternity, but like in that sense, Holy shit. That's up the word fraternity to a whole new level. Yeah, man. But that wasn't a situation. That that was a sexual assault. (laughs) It was like an episode of Law and Order that was not, you know. That was like real life law and order type shit. Like they had Vince McMahon and the companies that made settlements. That's how bad it was. And they cut budget by getting rid of some of the dead weights. Like honestly, she's the students. Like I know it doesn't seem like I'm making this sound legitimized by saying this, but you know, it made a little bit easier. But you put money on the table, it makes people gravitate to you. I forget her exact words, but like. She talked about the settlement that happened, and like one of the stewardesses were so she was so vocal about it, she went off the deep end in her 
like her statement. She said, oh, you should file a complaint. She ended up convincing her coworker to file a complaint about the flight, you know, the flight from hell. And it was just like, wow, oh, my gosh. Um, it's, it's sad when it hits that point. Yeah. Yeah, so the fabled the fabled ride from hell, plane ride from hell, we've actually do- dove in and got some details, man, and that's awful. And it makes you cringe because it's like, okay, so we had a brush of reality, you know, we knew Scott Hall had a story passed with, you know, him telling his life story on A&E about what he, you know, he was about, but then when it got to the flight from hell and they described what he'd done, it's like, man, I don't know if I can look at you the same. I mean, I still respect you and I still think you're a cool dude, but it's like, he goes, I have no recollection of what happened. I don't, I really don't blame the dude because I have bad short-term memory also, but like to not, you know, to not even remember you can't blame the dude. You can't, oh, well, you should, you know, remember everything you fucking do. Like, don't like, blame me. Scott Hall's he, done a shit ton of drugs in his life. He can't recall everything. Yeah, in his defense, if he can't remember, that means he was so fucked up, he slept through the entire thing, man. And that's fucked up if you can't remember, like, a 17-hour plane ride. <laughs> I mean, dude, I my so, legs yeah. and shit would be, yeah. My legs would be all kinds of spaghetti. I'd have to get up. But I and on that flight with those dudes, ooh, I don't know. I think staying to myself would have been the best best solution. But then again, how are you going to stay to yourself when you got all those booze and all the shit you're putting in the drink to make yourself at ease? Oh, you know, I got long ride home and I got a sore body. I just want to relax. I just want to drink and have a good time with the boys. It's like... I don't know what their mindset was, and I don't intend to know. I don't. I wasn't there in 2001. Obviously, you weren't there. We all weren't there. Fuck. But we got an inside, you know, look back to the 20 years that had passed by. And Jesus Christ, Rob Van Dam. I found it interesting. All the dudes that they interviewed, Rob Van Dam of all people, uh, Tommy Dreamer, just incredible. Terry Runnels was on most of it, and then Jim Ross, who anchored most of that episode and basically said, I didn't want to do this, but I had to do this. He took the uh, plastic bag, Michael Hayes' ponytail, and just threw it in the trash. I like that. That's funny. I just thought it was funny because JR was like the babysitter that's just like, well, I guess I'll have to. He's just like, do you really want all this talent on there? And they knew what was going on. He said, I was – Back then, the vice president of talent relations. God, I miss that, dude. JR was, he always had a knack for finding good talent, you know, and getting and roping that talent, making them stay. But to play the role of that and a real life babysitter, I mean, dude, I don't know how he did it. I mean, to be the, to be as strong and as stern as he was about the whole situation now Hannah goes I don't necessarily agree with the whole firing of Dustin that one he said he felt like he really did not want to bite the bullet on because he, he loved Dustin you know him and Dustin go back a long way but he had to because Dustin was not in a good place 
then later on Dustin came back anyway so it's just I think the tail end of this whole thing dude the sad part for me was like what you know what was the repercussions from the whole fucking incident the whole flight from hell and you can tell JR was so adamant of the entire episode. He's like, I really don't want to go into detail, but I'm going to be professional about it. And I'm going to tell you all exactly my thoughts on the whole thing. And I was just amazed that he just went detail by detail and remembered it like it was yesterday. I think, I honestly think it was, he was super embarrassed about a time the boys went fucking crazy and Ric Flair, the legend, got exposed. <laughs> I don't think that's one of Rick's proudest moments either. And I don't think Rick, if you, if we, if we were to let's say interview him about his most embarrassing moments, that's not gonna pop up on the list that he wants to remember. He probably doesn't even remember, or maybe he does. I don't know. Yeah, man. So, yeah, that was the plane ride from hell. What else you got into to get into? Well, I mean, I just finished watching the uh, September 17th edition of SmackDown, or Friday Night SmackDown. And like I said, I think sometimes it does exist time for music since we do have a lot of time to kill folks. So um, we're going to get right into this. So. Let's see here. Oh, oh, here we go. This is the old SmackDown theme, so please bear with us right here, live weekend edition of Russell Radio Network. Stand by. So this week's edition of Smack Friday Night SmackDown came from Knoxville, Bianca Belair's hometown. Wink, wink. Okay. This emanated from the University of Tennessee. A million times overdue, this, this show wasn't bad. It just got annoyed by how many fucking times they had to replay Seth Rollins versus Edge for the love of God. Every single segment. Let's reiterate what happened between Seth Rollins and Edge. Let's reiterate what happened between Seth Rollins and Edge between interviews and segments. That was the most annoying fucking smackdown I have ever seen. If you guys run out of ideas, fuck's sake, creative, take note. When you have someone that you know is injured and is taking time off, or whatever the fuck the case may be, can you please, sorry, I'm going on tangent pizza, but in between segments for real, like every even let me let me start off. So show started off again with Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and the Bloodline, the Usos, and they showed a lot of last week actually because they always it's like a neuralizer effect, I guess, with WWE. They have to show you what happened last week so that if you missed last week, 
you'll remember it. Or if you forgot completely and our, and our memory was completely wiped out. Sorry, I was annoyed while watching the show, my friend. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's see here. Paul Heyman and let's see here. Lesnar confrontation and said, no, I have no such knowledge. Roman walking out. Lesnar about to give Heyman the F5 and then the uh, bloodline and then come in. They show a prom- uh, recap of that. Then here's the thing. I, I do not want to see Crown Jewel. I hate I hated that show. I They showed a promo that it will be Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar if Roman quote-unquote loses or is, no, is still the universal champion by that time. He will defend the championship against Lesnar overseas. Get the fuck out of here with that shit, dude, really? Um, and then, let's see here. It's a new, like, every single time that Roman is in a city, it's kind of cool. You know, whether it's Knoxville or Kansas City, acknowledge me. Yes, sir, Sergeant Sir. Let's see here. Um, then you had a, a match made by Sonya Deville and... Adam Pierce, and you saw, uh, let's see here, the Usos took on a team of Big E and Finn Balor. I think the cool thing was it was something new. It wasn't much talking, thank God, even though it took forever a day for people to get in the ring for some odd fucking reason. I know they're just trying to pass time on Fox. I don't, I don't quite get it. So anyways, um, match was very back and forth between Balor, uh, who took the brunt end of the punishment most of the match, and then, you know, here comes the comeback. Balor tags in Big E. Big E then starts to dominate, and then he gets tampered with by Jay Uso. Uso's really been on a losing streak lately. I don't know what their their plan or scheme of things is with that. Uh, really cool finish, uh, the big ending and the Coupe de Gras at the same time. So this was a championship contenders match. I have no clue what direction WWE is going with this type style of match, but I just took note on that and said, okay, do whatever you guys want to do. Um, so, let's see here. Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns was seen backstage when they came back from commercial break. Then uh, after that, it was Rick Boogs with Nakamura versus uh, Bobby Roode who had Dolph Ziggler out, and then Rick Boogs hits the... Uh, Let's see here, Boogs Cruz, and then after that, they were attacked by Aziz and Apollo Cruz, who opened the challenge. I want my rematch for the IC belt. Okay, let's see, demanded a rematch. So then, I hate this fucking Happy Corbin versus Kevin Owens. So Kevin Owens was interviewed and said, you know, the only way I can get rid of this round by turning it upside down is if I beat the ever living shit. Well, he didn't say that, get in trouble, but. My interpretation was, if I beat the moving shit out of Happy Corbin, I will turn that frown upside down. Match uh, never happened. Uh, match never happened with uh, Baron Corbin and Kevin Owens because, uh, or I should say, Happy Corbin, because Happy Corbin attacked Owens from behind. Owens had a little bit of offense, and then uh, Corbin ended up choke slamming him on the ring apron. Match never happened. Go figure. All right, um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, this is what I say I got annoyed, because at the top of the show they played this, and then after every fucking segment it was, let's play a replay of what happened between Edge and Seth Rollins, but let's show a different angle of what happened, and let's show the stomp a million fucking times during the goddamn episode. 
okay. So then Seth Rollins comes out in a Justin Timberlake wannabe uh, like jumpsuit, whatever, like a nice little gray silver outfit. It's you know. And then they showed in between that they showed Bianca Belair's homecoming highlights. Uh, you know she went to Austin East Magnet School. She was a triathlete and this that the other. And then Kayla Braxton asked Paul Heyman about the possibility of Lesnar being drafted to Raw. And Heyman, this is what cracked me up. Heyman said, you're just, you know, you're just flirting with me. I am not interested. I, I'm not, you know, to synopsis of what Heyman was saying. But, and I basically said, Heyman said that Kayla was a flirt. And then Big E came up, you know, and was talking to Heyman saying, you know, hey, it's a, it's a wonderful how you know Roman's going to hold on to that title very long. And Heyman said, you know, congratulations, you know, you won the championship because you knew you could cash on a champion that was easily beaten. Because you knew if you cashed in on Roman, you would not have won that championship as easily as you did from Bobby Lashley. So then Big E was telling him, you know, you should tell your boy Roman that maybe he should be on the lookout for Lesnar. Blah blah blah. The Usos come out of nowhere and basically beat the crap out of Big E. And then, let's see here, Rollins pretends to show concern, hey, you know, somebody should have helped Big E. Basically, essentially, during Rollins' promo, nothing interested happened, and I tried not to nod off. I mean, he basically did his stereotypical Seth Rollins, I am a heel, boom, I And it wasn't that hard, because it was all in uh, Nashville. So, like, um, it was it was a nod. So it really wasn't that hard. He goes, look to your left, look to your right, look in the mirror. <clears throat> Blame yourselves because you wanted Edge, and you are the reasons why he's on the shelf right now. So there's that. And uh, then after that, Becky Lynch was interviewed about Bianca Belair. She said, you know, she had a lot of momentum before she met me. And she said, I've never been to Homecoming, maybe I might check it out. And then walked away from Kayla. After that, you had a match between Zelina Vega and Carmella versus Liv Morgan and the newcomer or newbie Tony Storm. I think the funniest part of this whole match was Carmella played it up like her nose got broken. Whoopty fucking do. Then Liv Morgan challenged to Carmella. To a match at Extreme Rules and stole a line from the movie Beastly. And yes, I'm the nerd that likes to point that out. That movie lines do tend to get stolen. It's not a crime, but it is kind of funny. If you don't know the movie Beastly, it's okay. It wasn't well known by a lot of folks. Anyways, let's see here. Okay. So then the Street Profits was talking or hyping up Bianca Belair. And they're talking about their future tag team title match with the Usos at Extreme Rules. All right, so let's see here. Do, 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 do. Oh, Finn Balor explains the origin of the Demon King and that the Demon King is not summoned, it summons him. Okay, and then he also said, I came from a line of railroad workers. I'm like, wow, they gave him the basic promo. And then at the end, he transformed into the Demon King. Ooh, ah. Oogly, oogly. <clears throat> All right. So then Dominic Mysterio again. I did, 
really. I mean, they gave him Sami Zayn. The match was very back and forth. I mean, Ray sat at commentary. I don't know why they're kind of doing this to Dominic, but sure, whatever. Biggest interest of mine was that <clears throat> Dominic went for a frog splash. Sammy put the knees up, rolls him up. One, two, three. So, yeah, Dominic's on a losing streak. Who gives a fuck? And shortly thereafter, Bianca Belair comes out. It's out. Happy-go-lucky homecoming shit. And then Becky Lynch comes out, and then Bianca says, you ain't welcome here. And girl, uh-uh, you don't go here, spiel. And she tries for the KOD, and then slides. Becky Lynch literally slides off Bianca Belair. And then, I guess, her new move is called the Manhandler, which is basically the her version of the rock bottom, and that's how we end SmackDown. So... I'm just going to tell you folks, like, I, I don't know what to make of SmackDown other than the only thing that really annoyed the ever-living piss out of me was every, in between every segment, there was a promo or, like, a recap of Edge getting injured. It's like, Jesus Christ, who the fuck wrote this show in that style? I mean, that's my only complaint was, yes, we know Edge is injured. Yes. We realize he's taking time because of his surgically repaired neck. But also, I, I realize SmackDown's kind of like, at least you know it's, it's showing some form of interest for fans. But at the same time, things like Dominic Mysterio versus Sami Zayn, what is that doing for Dominic Mysterio? Not a damn thing, and who cares? Also, to, to tail, you know, to top it off. We know that homecomings normally don't go well for the hometown hero in WWE. It always either ends well or it's it's kind of pointing out the obvious. And this is building for the match at Extreme Rules between Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch. I pray. There, I mean, I pray that these matches are entering. But there's one problem. It's called Extreme Rules. Things need to be extreme. But they're not going to be in some instances. So I, to top off this review, I'm just going to say at least it was entertaining some parts of it. At least it caught my attention and didn't make me snooze the entire way through. So it's nice to have a live crowd. It's nice to uh, nice to see him. But, dude, this show was kind of a dud. It, it really wasn't wasn't bad, it wasn't good, it just was in the middle for me. <clears throat> yeah, sounds like it. It sounds like it was designed to just get the ladies' title match over. It, it just also was designed to literally show us, like I said, like, WWE has the bad habit of repeating itself during the entire fucking show. Like, if we know someone's out for injury, please do not replay what happened on the Tron like 50 million fucking times. It really bugs the ever-living shit out of me when they do that because it's like, I'm trying to get in the mood for a tag match and then all of a sudden, here's Seth Rollins, you know, that curb stomp to to Edge and they didn't have any audio. They just showed you at the beginning to make it so dramatic between Edge and Seth and it's like, yeah, you told me that I was a light Edge and I I found that line funny when Seth said it, 
But at the same time, I'm just like, um, yeah, you guys really need to step up your game because AE Dubs is or AEW is making headline after headline after headline after headline. And if you keep on with the same shit that's on your program, it's not gonna fold well, dude. It's either gonna turn fans off or it's gonna make us say, Yep, we're well aware, Edge is injured, we get it. That's what I got from the whole show. It's just like subliminal messages. No. It was beating in their brains. Let's see if they get it type thing. And it's like, man, you guys are doing so great last week. What happened this week? I mean, I I'm well aware that it can flip from show to show, babyface heel. I don't care about that shit. What I care about is are you gonna entertain me, make me go, Wow, I didn't see that coming. No, it was repeat, repeat, repeat repeat of you know Rollins Edge and then Bianca Belair promo her I mean there's like four to six matches on the card and it's just like I think the comical one was when Carmella supposedly found it funny that they didn't even finish the fucking match they just were like uh, if I do what I did to you in the ring just imagine what I can do to you at Extreme Rules I'm like wow Liv Morgan again except for it's not versus Lana it's versus Carmella, and it's like, hurry up with this shit. That's all I, I mean, it's not, it wasn't bad. It it just, I I feel like if they were just to capture this show, in a nutshell, it was just like, let's see what we can do for a filler before Extreme Rules because we, the creative, ran out of shit to put on the fucking cards. And it's like, man, you guys really need to start rotating rosters and just showcasing NXT UK, NXT, just so that there's some fucking variety. They're like, well, they can't do that because of travel schedule. Oh, fucking sakes, dude. NXT sits in Orlando. NXT UK sits wherever they sit or film from. They need to rotate some new faces onto the show so that fans won't be complacent. Well, it's obviously entertained in Tennessee, no offense, but... <laughs> the Midwest, the South, and some parts of the East Coast are easily entertained. This show showcased my point. You cannot before Extreme Rules. There's no fucking specialty matches. I know it's Extreme Rules. Hmm? Is there a tables match? Is there a chain match? Is there, you know, paddle not paddle on the pole, but is there a kindo stick on the pole match? No, it's just straight matches, which is a crock of shit. Sorry, I went off tangent, folks, but when I saw no no previews whatsoever for Extreme Rules, but it's just a straight match between Roman Reigns and Finn Balor, what's so extreme about it? Hmm? What's so extreme? Is is there going to be no holds barred? Is it going to be a false count anywhere? Hell in a cell? Cage match? Uh, Street fight? That's extreme. That's, That's the fans' beef with WWE, is this shit is not extreme. It's just complete bullshit. And when you promo shit, like uh, the match between is going to bring out Demon, that's that's extreme for you guys? Wow, have you fallen off the map? Sorry, I'm I'm going pre-off the rails, folks. I apologize, but that's just my take on uh, Friday Night SmackDown. Oh, and by the way, Michael Cole completely ignores Pat McAfee during some parts of the, of the show. I don't know if he really, really does not coincide with uh, Pat, but did you need to? with your your co-announcer because 
it shows that you kind of are snubbing him like some of the way. And I'm not saying I'm a Pat McAfee fan, but if I was new to being a commentator, I know Pat McAfee does get lost in translation sometimes, but my thing is just, you know, acknowledge, no pun intended, acknowledge your commentator, my friend. And that does it for Friday Night Smackdown Review. Yo. I sorry, Pizza, but I just I just cannot hold that shit in anymore. Yeah, man. You got really you really got all of that you really got all of that uh review there. I kind of had to because I had to watch the replay because I dozed off earlier trying to watch SmackDown. And then I said to myself, well, you know, I'll do it justice and I'll watch the whole show. It wasn't bad, but like I said, if you want to reiterate a point or a moment that happened last week, we don't – some of us don't need it like 50 million times right in the face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next? So I got an AEW Dynamite review for you. All right, let's hear it. Okay, AEW Dynamite, September 14th. Right off the top, um, four guys in the booth, which is very, very off-putting because they're all just speaking over each other. And the first match was Adam Cole versus Frankie Gazarian. And personally, I felt like Frankie Gazarian was the perfect person for Adam Cole's first opponent in AEW, and he really got to showcase his stuff. And this ended with a Tequila Sunrise, and then, or not a Tequila Sunrise, but a Panama Sunrise, and then a Last Shot, which is the Shining Wizard to the back of the head, and Jurassic Express, and then uh, Cole wins, and he challenged Jurassic Express and Christian to a big group match, the Super Click versus the Jabroni Click. I didn't watch Rampage because I ended up hanging out and not watching that, but that was a good first match to open the show. And Adam Cole is definitely going to be fucking somebody, bro. He's he's badass, man. Adam Cole's ready. And I'm sorry, but WWE has really dropped the ball with that. And I, um, I really hope that Adam Cole doesn't stay under the elite thumb too long and challenges for the title as soon as possible. Next up, we got a long stretch of promos. First up, we got a we got a Lucha Brothers promo. Who are the new the tag, Who are the new Who are the new tag team champions? And they were they were put they were talking shit and talking shit on their next opponents, Butcher and the Blade. The Butcher is back because I'm assuming his tour with Every Time I Die is over, so he's ready to wrestle some more. It, um, if somebody's in a if somebody's in for a metal band and then challenging for the title, I can't shit on that any way possible. Next up, we got Fuego del Sol challenging 
challenging Miro to the TN, for the TNT Championship, and Fuego put his Honda Accord on the line against uh, TN, against Miro's TNT title. I thought that was pretty fucking funny. Uh, he put his car up, so that's good. MJF had a promo segment where he basically talked uh, talked shit on. He talked shit on um, Pillman, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, you know, that seems like, no offense to Brian Pillman Jr., but I feel like that's kind of a uh, step down, you know? Like, MJF has done all this stuff with Chris Jericho. I think he should be challenging for something a little bit more than challenging the uh, plucky ump start. Uh, next up, we got a sit-down promo with Brian Pillman Jr., boring. Then we got another boring promo from Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. I'm sure they challenged somebody. Um, Dante Martin and Matt Seidel took on FTR, and as you know, FTR is the actual best tag team in the company, and doesn't rely on flippy shit and does actual fucking awesome combo moves and is a good tag team. And they took on Dante Martin and Matt Seidel, who was the two flippy guys, and they got some flips in. And, of course, FCR won with the Shatter Machine, or as I should call it, the Big Rig, as they named it after Brody Lee. Rest in peace, Big Brody. Um, Man... Crazy, uh, crazy vertical on uh, a spot like Dante Martin did. He hit a gigantic, gigantic springboard drop kick that looked fucking great. Um, Suzuki Goon promo from Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer was up next. The Suzuki Goon means Suzuki Army, and Minoru Suzuki has been tagging with. Lance Archer for a long time and Minoru is a very, very devious wrestler and to be uh, his protege like Lance Archer is very beneficial for for his career because he's going to just learn how to torture guys, man. It was great. Next up, we got a cool promo from Malachi Black who uh, is basically coming across as AEW's almost Undertaker-like character, because it's the spooky darkness, it's the whole, it's the whole thing, man. Um, He would have never got this run like this and looked as strong in WWE, and I think that uh, AEW picking up Malachi Black is a great pickup, and uh, he came out, and he had a spooky cape on, and he called out Rosario Dawson in the crowd, and he talked a bunch of shit to her, and he looked like he was going to attack her, and uh, Cody Rhodes made his epic return to set up uh, Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black in their big stadium show in New York next week, which, um, okay, that's cool. Cody Rhodes is black. Cody Rhodes is back. I thought he was going to be gone for a little bit longer, but Whatever, man. Cody's back. Then we got a a bunny promo. Uh, Allie had a promo. Um, what a way to slow up the momentum. And um, 
then there was more promos. Dark Order came out and had a promo. And they're they're feuding amongst each other, so they argue through their shit. Uh, another promo, Dan Lambert from America's Top Team came out with his crew of MMA guys and Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. Uh, okay, I guess Dan Lambert can talk, which is the which is an upside because that you want to be able to be able to go out there and just keep going and Dan Lambert can talk that shit. Next up, we got another promo. Gun Club, Gun Club, uh, Billy Gunn and his two sons had a promo and talked about how badass they were. A lot of promos on this show, my guy. A lot of promos. Finally, we got Jade Cargill, who I think is just awesome. She's a little bit, she's still a little bit green, but she definitely has a lot of character, and I appreciate that. She was taking on legit Layla Hirsch, who has an extensive, extensive amateur background and an extensive indie career background, so this was a good match for both of them. Of course, Jade Cargill won her match with uh, legit Layla. Um, another promo from Andrade. Uh, he explained why he kicked out Chavo for uh, interfering in his match on Rampage. So I fast forward through that, obviously. Um, next up, we got, we got, a, uh, we got a Taz promo who called out? <clears throat> who called out CM Punk? Who was on? We lost pizza. Pardon? Please stand by for technical difficulties, folks. Don't worry, you'll be back. Let me see if I can. All right, folks. We apologize for the technical difficulties going on at Russell Radio Network. Pete, are you still there? I am. Okay. There it is. Did I go? What happened here? I don't. I don't know. I thought we lost you. I don't know something through the feed because I couldn't hear. So I was just like, "Is he still there?" No, I'm completely still here. Okay. All right, we're ready. Hello. Promo. <laughs> he said there's there's a lot of promos on the show. Okay. Back to where I was. Sean Spears promo and uh he came out and talked his shit on Darby Allen. And Darby and Sean had a match, and this ended up with Darby taking the win. 
when uh, Sean Spears set up the Sean Spears set up stairs, and while Sean was setting up the stairs, Darby clobbered him with a suicide dive and then a coffin drop. Um, FTR attacked Sting, attacked Sting, and attacked Sting and Darby, which I'm excited about because I want to see Sting versus FTR. But what was wild? Sting took a spike pile driver. Good God! Uh, Brian Danielson was up next. He had a promo with. He had a promo with Eddie. Um, I'm sorry. He had a promo with Kenny Omega. They set up their title match at the upcoming uh, stadium show. And uh, in the main event, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley defeated 2.0. And 2.0, coming from NXT, has been on every fucking show ever since. After the match, Suzuki Goon, a.k.a. Suzuki Army of Minoru Suzuki, who's sticking around in AEW and wants his revenge on John Moxley, attacked, attacked Eddie Kingston and John Moxley with his partner Lance Archer, setting up their match for the, um, the stadium show. And that's how AEW Dynamite ended. I'm going to say I think that without the Elite, I think the Dynam- I think Dynamite really wasn't that bad, man. I think that the Elite get too much showtime, too much showtime, and I like that this episode does not to shine. You know, surprisingly, they're... Let me get closer, or maybe you can hear me from a distance, folks. But surprisingly, from what I heard, AEW, when they do promos, it still intrigues because they still have action that follows. So when you have action that follows promos, it makes the audience go, oh, okay, cool. Now we can still catch the action and get back into what we were getting back into. They're structuring. AEW is starting to structure better. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think so too. I think a problem with my from my end really wasn't my main problem. A lot really was like I felt like they did their main event in the first hour, and then they ended the show kind of weak. And I think that the main event should be the last match, and you should send the the crowd going. The crowd, you can send them going home, oh, going, oh, God, that was amazing, what the fuck I've seen, instead of fizzling out. That was my problem when I actually caught wind of AEW stuff. This was before Adam Cole. This was before CM Punk. It was maybe like the Elite versus the Inner Circle, and I was just like, okay. And they kept doing weird segment after weird segment and they never really followed suit with actually making a point or having a consistent story and they're doing a better job from what I've heard. I haven't really caught on folks uh, with the whole AEW title wave. My friends keep telling me you should watch. You should definitely sit down and watch. So now that there's names, not just the Adam Coles and the Brian Danielson of the world, I will actually attempt, not attempt, I will watch and see what this hubbub's all about. 
Yeah, it's uh, trying to get better. I uh, think they signed a lot of – they had an influx on big talent. It's just now they have to execute. And, you know, you can't leave Andrade off shows, and you've got to have Adam Cole doing matches, and you've got to have Brian Danielson doing matches, and you've got to execute. And I don't know. I think maybe it might be a little hot-shotting. I think that maybe they should have saved Brian Danielson for the next pay-per-view and kept the uh, hit kind of kept it kept the hits kind of coming instead of giving us four giving us four uh, debuts on one pay-per-view. Even though uh, Minoru Suzuki's um, being in Ring, I mean, I'm sorry. Um, even though Minoru Suzuki is being in the AEW ring, I still think that it is a big deal, and people may not know who he is, but it's still kind of a big deal. They could have held off on on uh, Brian Danielson being there, but hey, the next show is going to be uh, pretty stacked in the New York Stadium. Oh, he said the magic words, dude. This is—I don't care if it's New York, Boston, or whatever. The East Coast—they love their wrestling, and from what I know, if it's in New York, not just there. I mean, the whole everybody's like catching on to AEW. It's like the new, as Enzo put it, is uh, I've watched one of his YouTube shit. It was uh, it's the new alternative because WWE is just to reiterate. They're restructuring themselves. They're rebuilding, rebooting, and trying to make it better for the fans. Well, um, I've noticed a few things. AEW is like that one player during a chess match, and every single time that WWE tries to make a move, in one fell swoop, it's checkmate. That's literally what's going on. So literally what's going on, folks, between WWE and AEW is the fact that the demographics from the audience from, like, 18 to 49, and I'll touch later this one off the rails, but, like, just a preview, the demographics and statistics that we're going into AEW and WWE, if you look at the stats for 18 to 49 viewership, the age 18 to 49, AEW is completely dominating because – not holding back they are not they're not under that plexiglass box and they're they're not reaching that glass ceiling so there's that yeah man so yeah aw's trying they're chugging along man they're they're uh making some noise and I'm gonna tell you from first hand that their shows are improving. I mean it used to be when they didn't have any structure it was mainly centered around two groups and that was the inner circle and the elite. And they really didn't have like I said, from when I watched the first few times, they really did not have any direction but they were doing things that fans were craving. Like they were showing 
blood in the match. They were having hardcore elements like thumbtacks, mousetraps, you know, brooms wrapped around with barbed wire on them. So it was kind of like uh, the good old days in ECW, kind of, sort of, but not really. And back then, they were just acquiring names like, ooh, John Moxley, they had Jake Hager on board. Chris Jericho is one of the first inaugural AEW champions. Um, but, you know, the direction that's headed right now was staying on Cole, Danielson. Um, they're headed in a good direction, AEW is. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. I'm uh, trying to give them a break. I don't always want to be the cranky old wrestling fan. Well, I mean, like, in wrestling so much, you have so many critics roaming around outside of us, dude, outside of podcasts that will sit here and literally talk nothing about what, you know, how many botches happened in the ring or, you know, I really didn't like this promo. And was this what was this match had anything to do with what it you know what was the purpose of it? Blah blah blah. I really don't think I wasn't surprised. Like every once in a great while, it's nice to have that focus on what we liked instead of what we disliked as fans. And AEW is kind of like that ha- not happy medium, but it's 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 okay. If we describe it in a few words, it's very uplifting. It's nice. It's a breather. It's uh, not uniformed. Those are some of the adjective folks that I thought in my head when I thought of it because it's like you hear a lot of rapport from guys that are in, currently in AEW thinking, man, I can relax. Finally. I can breathe. I can be myself. You hear, You hear that line all the time. And that's something in wrestling, as a fan, you hear them say it. They're like, man, they must be doing something right. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, man. Uh, we're getting a little tight on time. You want to do a slice of pizza? I don't got too much for it. I don't see why not. Dude. Why not? Let's, ladies and gentlemen, the following content may or may not contain, but most likely will contain expletives not suitable for minors under the age of 18. The following opinions are not uh, contain are not reflections of following the following companies, WWE, AEW, WCW, ICW, GCW, or any following wrestling companies are not in any way, shape, or form reflected upon the opinion and viewpoints of Pete Simpson. Ladies and gentlemen, please join in on this awesome madness the one, the only, the man. Welcome to a slice of pizza.
All right. Take it away, pizza. You know, with this episode, I really didn't have anything this week. And what I was going to do was dive into a Billy Jack Haynes shoot that I had. And it's really hard to put pen to paper when you're trying to decipher the insane ramblings of a a reclusive shut-in who is just an insane conspiracy theorist. And I just really thought, you know what, I'm not going to go and try to crack the Da Vinci Code. So I went in an opposite direction, and I was trying to think about a show that I went to go see personally, and I wanted to review that so I could try to talk from a personal perspective instead of just, I'm just reviewing a show. And before I dive into that, I'm, since we've been talking about, I just spoke about Minoru Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki, after his win over Jonathan Gresham at Game Changer Wrestling, he will be taking on Nick Gage. So that's going to be fucking wild, man. Nick Gage versus the fucking legend, Minoru Suzuki. I uh, chose Chikara's Zelda the Great from November 2012, and this was a show that I went to live, and I haven't seen it since I first since I first attended. And I gotta say that um, going into the building right from the start, the the crowd was very very electric and really excited to just see wrestling. So. We were very, very, very much on board, and we we we, we respected Shakara, the Chicago crowd. If it's a family, if it's a family um, type of show, that's fine. We won't curse and we won't say horrible things, but we're gonna give you so much energy. We're gonna try to blow the roof off of the place. And the Logan Square Auditorium was a very, 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 very small venue with pretty much only like two or three exits, but they were very, it was very tight. So it was maybe 400 people crammed into this tight building. And the show started with Gavin Loudspeaker singing a song, talking about how excited he was to be in Chicago. And the first match was the Soul Touches taking on the team of the Batiri. And this was a good match when we saw a nice high spot where Willie Richardson, the Amer- the urban American dream, hit a flying spine buster. And after a drop toe hold knee combo, after a drop toe hold knee combo, and then a flying butt kind of similar to Doink the Clown, the the Batiri pick up the win. And to start off the show. To start off the match, I said, say, Cobalt tore up a picture of Barack Obama, which is, was a, which was a he, real heat spot in Chicago, considering that was, you know, Chicago, uh, Chicago was Obama's home base. Crowd was hot. Crowd was real, real hot, and I was having a lot of fun, and we were drinking beers and whatnot, and my homeboy snuck in some beers. And, uh, yeah, man, we're having a good time in the fucking bout in the, uh, on the stage. Next up, we got Sydney Bacabala, who was, who took over, who took over on the, uh, ring announcing for his tag team, the Devastation Corporation. And before the Devastation Corporation, the, uh, Sydney Bacabala was dropping names like Toots Mont 
And uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, a good portion of the crowd did not know who Toots was. So um, that was pretty funny. And uh, these the Devastation Corporation came out, and they were a couple of big badasses, but they fucked up a couple of their moves. So we, the Chicago audience, was not feeling it. They pick up a win. They picked up the win over the two jabronis after a uh, trash compactor uh, splash combo. Gener- El Generico was taking on the Shard next. The uh, the story going into this match was the Shard was a former Chikara was a Chikara student who was coming back under an unknown name, but he was pissed off and he's coming back for revenge. This uh, that's that's pretty much about into that story. He was just pissed off and had a mask, and he was taking on El Generico, who never spoke a word in his whole time in, in on the Indies. El Generico went on to be Sami Zayn on WWE SmackDown Television, and Generico picked up the win after a Haluva kick and a Brain Buster, which is a Brain Buster on top of the turnbuckle and I uh, really got to hammer home how great a wrestler Sami Zayn is because he at this time was so charismatic and never spoke a word and just really got over to with the crowd with his facial expressions and his selling and just really connecting with the audience and he went on to be a fantastic heel for WWE and if WWE loses loses El Generico, the for- Sami Zayn, it would be a huge loss because he really is great. Next up, we got El Generico, and, I mean, I'm sorry, we got Johnny Gargano and Chuck Taylor, Team Fist, taking on the Colony. Fist stands for Friends and Similar Types, and the Colony was the makeshift team of Soldier Ant and... Uh, Deviant, who was um, who was the storyline new ant that was that was pushed in by new general manager Wink Vonasaur. So th- throughout this match, Soldier and Deviant had problems. The fist pick up the win after a nifty combo where they hit like a DVD, or I'm sorry, they hit a DDT and then a flippy flatliner. Uh, in the semi-main, Mike Quackenbush was taking on Cole Cabana, and, and this was a uh, World of Sports match. This was a British-style match with a lot of funny, funny, funny grappling and funny comedy. This was a let-up-the-crowd match, I would definitely say, but it was definitely something that you would see something new if you stayed and watched. So I like this match. Cabana picks up the win after after a bunch of tricky moves, and Colt hit a – Colt locked on a reversal and pinned him. Wowzers. Jigsaw and the Colony took on Jimmy Jacobs and the Bravados, which was Team Ring of Honor, who was uh, feuding with Shakara at the time. And um, not much to write home on. Not right. Not much to write home on this one. But uh, the Bravados pick up the win for Team Ring of Honor after a uh, after a kind of a reverse magic killer. It, it's a uh, like a reverse combo neckbreaker, which I enjoyed. 
um, after this, Grant Akuma took, took on Tim Dunst, and I really wasn't paying attention to this match because I was talking to my Tinder date, and, um, you know, I was, my priorities was, was elsewhere. I was trying to lock something down. So um, uh, Tim Dunst wins after bopping Akuma in the head with a fucking boot and locking on his crippler crossface variation. All right, that was cool. Okay, so in another big match, the mysterious stranger and his partner, a pigeon named Sapphire, was taking on was taking on uh, 3.0, who it, who was just in the Chikara main event. I mean, I'm sorry, who was just in the AEW Dynavite main event that I just covered. They were taking on the touch, uh, the throwbacks, and the other variation of Fist of Icarus and Sugar Dunkerton. Um, okay, so um, I, uh, let me try to explain the mysterious, handsome stranger in Sapphire. Okay, so if anybody's familiar with Chikara, I'll talk about them a little bit more in detail when I finish up my review of the show. Chikara was a, a family-friendly, a little bit silly uh, organization that had deep storylines. So Archibald Peck lost his girlfriend, Veronica, to Mr. Touchdown from the throwbacks. And so he drifted away and returned as the mysterious handsome stranger. And his partner and best friend was a toy pigeon. And that was his partner going into this fatal four-way. And during this match, um, um, Mr. Touchdown killed Sapphire and which to the dismay got epic heat from the Chicago crowd where there was chance of you are a monster and PETA to uh, Mr. Touchdown and in the end 3.0 win the match after hitting their finish uh, a sweet taste of professionalism which was a double team which was a Double team um, code breaker. What a fun show, man! I remember just being just so electric in this in this crowd with my with my brothers having a good fucking time. And in the main event, the Young Bucks was taking on was 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 uh, taking on the Spectral Envoy, the team of Ultramantis Black and. Hollow Wicked, who were camp, who were champion, who were cashing in their three points from their three tag team title wins. I'm sorry, their three tag match wins. They were challenging the Bucks, who so happened to be Los Campeones de Parejas, which Tampa, which which means that they were the tag team champions in a best two out of three falls match. With the Bucks picking up the win. Two two uh, falls to win to one when the first match for the first fall was the Bucks picking up the win with a stuffed tombstone pile driver and then the next match the next fall I turned my head for a second and I missed it but they the, the envoy pick up the win and in the last fall the uh, Ophidian who was feuding with who was feuding with the 
special envoy at the time interfered, costing them the the match and the title and the titles with the Bucks retaining. Um, what an excellent show to go down because I swear to God I haven't watched this show since I I attended it and I for completely forgot about it and it was great to remember all this stuff and remember old fields and remember why I like like why I love independent wrestling because you capture all this energy in some small ass little room that only holds 500 fans and this was one of those times where we saw a bunch of fun stuff and I appreciate that this this show was definitely something that could be seen by uh, actual smart marks who think they know everything, and you could take your fucking kid to it. So I enjoyed this show, man. I really enjoyed going down this memory lane and seeing a 2012 Matt and Nick Jackson and seeing a 2012 Johnny Gargano. That's uh, that's your uh, slice of pizza for this week. You know, it's something cool when someone says <clears throat> they find joy watching an independent show. That's a rarity among, you know, certain wrestling fans. You know, there's a different flavors of ice cream. On pizza happens to like indie wrestling. That's not a bad thing, folks, because there are some people, you know, on my friends list, and there are people outside my friends list that actually do go through the process of indie wrestling. It's nice to hear someone say, I, you know, found my love through professional wrestling watching the in, in the independence. It's because it's more intimate. It's more, you get to uh, experience more things yes, sir. During, during an indie show. And it's, um, there's always that spot on the card where uh, there's a comical match, or there's that spot on the card where it's like the the hometown hero, you know, gets either beaten or betrayed, or um, the referee gets involved in the match and, and the fans go ape shit. Dude, it's like it's it's something that you can't really explain, but when you watch as a fan, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> All right, folks, we got 20 minutes left on this here shindig called Restorating Network Weekend. So what we're going to do, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to end the show with a little bit of a thing called Off the Rails. So the following content contains expletive language, not suitable for the minors under the age of 18, Off the Rails Uncensored is a trademark portion of the show that was trademarked off the rails uncensored March 7, 2016 it's been running five years it's been beautiful and uh, let's see here if I can just mosey on down here oh yes the hit one of my influences uh, music if you will and a lot of the opinions and reflections are not official viewpoints or opinions on said companies, WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, APJW, MPJW, so on and so forth. <clears throat> you get the picture, folks. Hit my music, shall we? Look in my eyes, what do you see? The cost of 
folks. So I believe there's a momentum shift going on between AEW, NXT, and WWE in general. See, WWE used to be the company that a lot of people aspired to be in. There still are people who aspire to be in wrestling. It's just not, hey, I want to jump ship right now to uh, go to the Performance Center in Orlando and hop on this thing we call NXT. Ever since the rebranding and the restructuring of WWE, I mean, they've been doing better. Their shows have not been terrible. But we've got this thing called back-to-back-to-back major signings of Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, and, I mean, they've got – AEW has that it factor, that – that itch that you have to scratch, that that passion that is lacking so far that we've seen in WWE. Like I just stated, you know, from the SmackDown Live, they took, they didn't take a step backwards. It's just like they had that question mark that normally looms over. And so, you know, it's it's cool. It's actually, let's see here. And that's fine. Um, All I'm going to tell you is, folks, is that from the moment that AEW was conceived a few years back to what it is now, yeah, now they have the firing power of CM Punk, and they have Adam Cole and Brian Danielson all in the same company. That means there could be fantasy matchups come true and actually become a part of reality. Get of Adam Cole as my partner in crime mentioned, go for the AEW championship, and he doesn't necessarily have to be under the thumb of the elite. And also, the demographics for 18 to 49, I've repeated this on several shows. The demographic for the viewers who are 18 to 49 are a high percentage on AEW. The demographics for 18 to 49 to WWE, it depends. On which week or what month it was, and that's that's an underlying difference. If people are a certain age and they're not watching your shit, then why bother watching? And two, no organic feel when somebody picks up a microphone in WWE. It just seems force-fed. As you can hear, the dramatic pause and trying to answer some of the questions. Uh, show through Instagram, which is wrestle underscore radio at Brian Rails underscore Brian Rails on Twitter or btrain 5000 on Twitter. Wrestle Radio Network forward slash Facebook dot com on Facebook. So yes, back to the whole thing. NXT used to be the alternative where they were literally the answer. To the shit that was going down on the main. Main roster really didn't have that much going for it at that time period. I mean, usually it was the first time, you know, you got to see call ups like Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks and Bailey. And you had people coming in from all around the world and all over promotions like Ring of Honor gave us Kevin Owens, they gave us Cesaro. 
Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose at the time. NXT was the best place to be, man, and nobody really could get enough of it. Now, the momentum and pendulum has swung in AEW's favor because of the big names that have come through. They're cert- they're uh, onto their scene. And it's not funny that, you know, WWE is starting to look like old WCW. No really extreme moments, no interesting things happening except for maybe Alexa Bliss and her creepy doll. But outside of that, what are what is the re, what are the main reasons the fans are flocking to AEW? Can anyone explain? Could it be compelling TV? Could it be promos that don't hold back or have any tight you know leashes on, and they don't have to walk on eggshells while saying said words on promos? You can curse, you can you can let loose within reason, and you don't have to. Linger in the office after you said what you said. Like I said, folks, I will venture into watching AEW this time around because I'm curious as to what the buzz is about. I am curious as to why everyone is seeming, you know, is tuning in to watch Dynamite or to watch any of their pay-per-views. There has to be a rhyme or reason why AEW is doing ten times better than WWE. WWE is getting attention because they have some big names in their company like Edge and Roman Reigns and Randy Orton and, I don't know, Goldberg's no longer with the company on on a consistent basis, but they have Lesnar, they have Becky Lynch back who had brawled with uh, Ronda Rousey, but but how many threads is WWE hanging on or hanging by? I mean, it's just one of those things you got to ask yourself. What, what are we, what, what videos are we, not videos, what a tale of the tape are we looking at? From years ago when WWE still had Adam Cole, still had things going for him, you know, in NXT, having war games, takeover war games, and AEW wasn't even a thought yet. And then at WrestleMania 35, at Hall of Fame, there was some chance for AEW. But, you know, AEW's come a long way, man. The fandom, the merchandise, the buzz, that's all belonging to them right now. Advantage AEW. Because WWE is back to the fucking drawing board again. Literally asking, okay, what do we need to do to compete with AEW? That that never really entered their minds until the merchandise sales, where stuff they're tracing into where WWE is too. They're going to Walmarts and Targets and Best Buys, and they've got a toy line now. They've got a video game. So yeah, you know you're on the market when your shit's being advertised and being plucked and being poked and prodded and criticized and praised and all that good jazz. So when you're a wrestling company like WWE that's been around for 40 plus years and the format still hasn't changed since 2011, fans are going to catch on because they no longer can have blood on screen. They no longer can curse. And if they do, it's the only word that can come out of their mouth is ass or the occasional shit by accident. I'm not saying cuss words makes a show, but compelling TV is comprised of what? There has to be 
violence. There has to be some kind of scandal. There has to be some kind thing that draws the audience in to watch your show. What what compels us to watch WWE? I don't know. You have to go through an exorcism to watch it sometimes. And that I'm referring to WWE Raw. Sometimes getting through the show is like half the battle. And I never thought I would say that about WWE. NXT is the same thing. It's getting a revamp, supposedly, quote unquote. So, ladies and gentlemen, to conclude the show, I'm going to ask this question to you all. If WWE does improve, do we now, can we officially now say it's on like Donkey Kong? Or are we going to say, well, they're trying, it's just not, not working. I mean, one minute, you're headlining WrestleMania and selling out arenas. And people are bored as fuck. They didn't do anything the entire pandemic. They had that virtual, stupid virtual audience thing. It was innovative, but it was under their control. So how can we really say it was a true fan experience? That's just, I mean, there's a lot of things, and there's a lot of factors that go into this. Ratings aren't the only tale of the tapes. A lot, a lot of good names go. Some were mid-cards, some were, you know, not even performing at their level, but they're making the most of it in AEW. So, I mean... I hope both sides do well, but to conclude it, I'm going to say the following. In wrestling, you got to have something that lures an audience to your product. If you don't have names, you don't produce good content, and you reproduce a, crock, a lot of shit, you produce a lot of shit, I'm sorry, that doesn't make sense or doesn't include the audience or doesn't draw us in, like Extreme Rules, for example – Please understand the following, man. Extreme rules needs to be, quote, unquote, it needs to be extreme. And another thing, we, the audience, are not stupid. Some of us are. Some of us catch on quite a bit. Let's call, you know, that's what we call smarks. So I'm going to say the following. Thank you for entertaining us, but step it up. And advantage AEW, and WWE is going back to their fucking drawing board again. And it show it's showing. Hopefully, it pays off. And uh, may the best uh, may the best company win. I don't know if you guys are gonna go down each other's throats eventually. Go face to face. I don't know. But, uh, anyways, two those bitches I got to eat. Happy Saturday, happy weekend, uh, and uh, happy 40th to my parents for being married 40 years. Love you guys. Toodles, bitches. Have a good night. Personality, the cultural personality.